0: The life of faith, especially, is just uncomfortable. Mm. Why? Because belief is not the final way or the most satisfying way in which we know things. Intellect wants to see. It wants to possess. And to be in a state where that which we know is most true, God's revelation, and we trust that on his own authority. But in making that affirmation of truthfulness, but not being able to see for ourselves, the truthfulness of what God reveals to us, not to see God Himself, leaves us unsatisfied and kind of psychologically off kilter.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host Mary Rose, and my guest today is Father Aquinas Gilbo. And I believe he is the first Dominican guest that I've had on the podcast. So this is very exciting. Um, We discussed the virtue of faith. And two things I'll say just by way of commentary. One, um, the conversation definitely gets somewhat technical theologically. And I know that can kind of make people's heads spin. And I just want to give sort of an analogy for theology that I think might um, draw people in a little bit more. I think of theology actually as a kind of play where you have the pillars of scripture and tradition and magisterium that kind of set the boundaries. You know, there's sort of the rules of the game, um, the umpire of the game, the way the game is played, um, and you can't deviate from them. And once you have those boundaries in place, there's, there's a whole other world of, of play and of exploration where you can kind of, bounce questions back and forth, kind of like a, a ping pong match or a tennis match, um, and really kind of analyze things from multiple sides and try to poke holes in, in, in certain ideas. Because, um, you know, when we read the Gospels, for example, or, or the letters of Paul, we hear a lot about the words faith, hope, and love, but they're not necessarily presented in, in a super systematic manner. And so what theologians, what people like Thomas Aquinas do is that they they take all these concepts and they try to filter them through kind of an organizational lens, um, but that that's sort of is a, is a dry way to look at it. I think I think looking at it as a, as a form of play, um, it kind of gets at the 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 fun of theology, where uh, you really are trying to get at the divine, um, trying to get at something that is infinite, and so. It's not as rigid as as sometimes um, it can seem. Um, the other thing I'll say by way of commentary, and you got a little bit of this in the um, the intro clip, uh, which is this idea that there's something kind of unsatisfying about the life of faith. And I really love that, that he said that, and, I, and I'm going to have to go um, to that book on the Theological Virtues by Joseph Pieper because I think sometimes evangelists and and speakers and, and communicators of the faith will tell people that, you know, once they become Christian or once they become Catholic, like Jesus will satisfy all of their longings. You know, the emptiness that you feel, they'll say, is because you don't have Christ. And once you have Christ, you won't feel empty anymore. <laughs> and I'm just laughing as I say that, because Christianity is not always satisfying. And that doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, it's just that this life is not always satisfying. Um, you know, one of the things that Jesus promises us is that we will have trouble in this world. Um, and so when we talk about Christ as being the source of happiness, we can often in that for a kind of satisfaction, um, a kind of completeness. And then people feel sort of inadequate when they don't feel completely satisfied, um, despite having a deep relationship with God. And it's kind of comforting, you know, that uh, it's not always going to be satisfying because we're, we are not, we, we are in this state of tension, you know, already have union with Christ, but not yet fully united with Christ. We, we know him by faith, and one day we will know him by, by vision. And then we will be fully satisfied. So uh, I just love that. Um, Okay. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you are subscribed in whatever app you're listening to. Please rate and review. That helps let people know that the podcast is cool. Um, Follow me on Instagram at the Crab and the Cross podcast on Twitter slash X at Mary Rose Depp and become a subscriber on Spotify, a monthly patron that would put a gallon of gas in my car. All right. And now, here is my conversation with Father Aquinas Gilbo. Father Aquinas Gilbo serves as the university chaplain and director of campus ministry at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. A native of Louisiana, Father Aquinas Gilbo entered the Dominican province of St. Joseph in 2005. After several years of pastoral work in New York City, Father Gilbo began his doctoral studies in moral theology at the University of Freiburg, where he completed a dissertation on Saint Thomas Aquinas's doctrine of the common good. He also serves as an assistant professor of moral theology at the Dominican House of Studies. Father Aquinas, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: So I just want to ask you before we jump into talking about faith: um, What has it been like making a transition? from more academic work to more pastoral work?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Of course, a good Dominican would always say the, the academic is, is necessarily pastoral, right? Uh, yeah. The truth itself is charitable and therefore always has its pastoral and uh, and charitable application. Now, I, th- I would say the, the, the transition has been great. I mean, one of the great things is that the, the Dominican House of Studies and Catholic University had been neighbors just across mm. the street from each other for hundred and nearly 120 years. So we've got a long uh, history and friendship, the Dominicans with, with Catholic university. Uh, so we were thrilled and honored by the invitation last year to, uh, to join the, the campus ministry team there. And we've had a, a great first year. The, the welcome on campus has been uh, warm and encouraging and the students have just been great. And uh, yeah. so I, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it. And we've got uh, big plans for next year and uh, we're looking forward to it already.
1: That's great. Yeah, I I just made a similar kind of career transition, so to speak. I was teaching high school theology for eight years, and I just took this mm-hmm. job as campus minister um, at a public college, though. So, um, it's it's been cool. Well, it's nice because in in ministry you have less of the grunt work of of teaching, you know, with grading, right. lesson planning and all of that. Um, but like you said, it is you know, it's it's not a different entity you know, from, from academic theology.
0: Yeah. No, I would say, and I'm sure you found this too, is that the academic preparation certainly, uh, gives you a, a great preparation for, mm-hmm. for, for the pastoral work, especially in terms of preaching and teaching uh, on a popular catechetical level. Uh, but also having the resources behind you to, to really meet the, the wide variety of needs that, uh, that students on a college campus would uh, or certainly do present and so uh, yeah again I, I I think the those two worlds uh, come together the the academic and the pastoral in a particular way on, on, a, on a on a on a college campus and the campus ministry on a on a college campus
1: right absolutely so I want to talk to you about the virtue of faith I've been Thinking a lot about it, and right. uh, I've studied a bit. You know, I, I finished recently my master's in in theology, and towards the end of my studies, like some questions came up for me, or, or so I learned some things that I hadn't learned before, and feel mm-hmm. like I have a lot more exploration to do. And right. one of the things that I learned that really surprised me, um, and it kind of on some level conflicted with my own faith journey, was that we, if we believe something simply on the basis of finding it rational then it's not really faith and i think for for me and maybe a lot of catholics like me where we kind of grew up in the faith um and had sort of that implicit faith and then go through a period of of wrestling with it we find things like apologetics uh, mm-hmm. and philosophy to be really helpful and and to confirm like okay this faith is rational um But then it leads me to wonder, well, am I just believing it because I think it makes sense or or do I really have the sincere gift of faith? And so I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about that distinction between believing based on the basis of reason versus believing as a divine act.
0: Certainly. Well, uh, this is where I think St. Thomas Aquinas can really help us. uh, When he treats all three of the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, uh, he realizes, oh, well, on the one hand, these are gifts, you know, that are mm. that are poured into our, our souls by the by by the Holy Spirit. At the same time, however, uh, they're also natural acts. I mean, they're real human acts, you know, that they they the theological acts of faith, hope, and charity, you know, unite us to God in mind and heart. You know, we come to as Guiness says boldly, we come to possess God, you know, by by the act of faith, hope, and charity. But he realizes, or helps us to see, that each of those acts, theological acts, has a natural analog—an act of a human act of belief, a human act of hope, a human act of love. And before he begins his exposition of the theological act, he first wants to say, well, what, what, first and foremost, are the, are, are these human acts? You know, what is an act of belief? You know, why, why does belief find a natural place? in human life. And therefore, he does a little uh, you know, investigation explanation of what, what human belief is. And, and he helps us to understand it's really tied to knowledge. I mean, it's, it's how we come to know things. Uh, and we can come to know or, or assert the, the truthfulness of, of various propositions in any number of ways. I mean, one on the one hand, you know, a proposition can be so self-evidently true that we see its truth right away and we just know it. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and know it with certainty. Uh, there's no question of belief in this regard because the truth of the proposition is even evident or proved or, or demonstrated. Uh, mm-hmm. But in cases where something is proposed to us as true, but we don't immediately see its truth or it's not proven to us or we can't demonstrate it, there are a number of degrees of, of assenting to, to that, that truth uh with with uh, kind of various levels of of certainty. On the one hand, we can incline to something as true that we can't see or or prove uh with a lot of enthusiasm or, or, or with a lot of confidence. And Aquinas says, you know, this is opinion, you know, that uh you know we we opine about these things. Uh we might even repeat the proposition as true, but you know, it's 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 our opinion. We don't know. We don't know it with a kind of certainty that you know that 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 it is true. But but we're pretty confident. You know that that it is. On the other side of opinion, we can have doubt. We can have something proposed to us, and it appears to be true. Uh, it may have some truth to it, but you know we're really uncertain uh, about it. Uh, uh, and and even to the point of even doubting it. Uh, you know, its its truth. Doesn't seem clear to us, uh, and we it, it maybe even a little shaky <laughs> in terms of trusting those who who present it to us, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we 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 approach those propositions with a kind of skepticism. We're, we've not denied them outright, uh, but it's you know we have some doubt as to to, to their truthfulness. Um, but between what Aquinas says, opinion and uh, and certain knowledge is is belief, and and here. A pres- uh, some kind of proposition is is proposed to us, uh, and we can't prove its truthfulness. We can't demonstrate it. It's not clear to us uh, according to our own natural abilities. But we affirm it one hundred percent and with certainty as true. Why? Well, because we have utter trust in the person who's uh, who's communicated it to us. We we trust a witness, you know, as to its truthfulness. And Aquinas says this is this is the act of belief. Uh, you know, we we by an active will choose to assert a proposition as certainly true, not because we can prove it, not because we can demonstrate its truth, uh, but because we one hundred percent trust the person, you know, who, who who's communicated to us. We trust their witness. Uh, education is built on this, yeah. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> uh, on, on this kind of natural belief and. And in most things, as we grow and develop and mature, we we move from from belief to knowledge. As those things that we we accept on the authority of a teacher or professor, we come to see ourselves as true. And that's what a good teacher does, right? A good teacher isn't satisfied with communicating the truth, um, just having the the student believe it. The the, the, the good teacher wants the you know the student to see the the, the truths of of what they teach, uh, you know, for himself or, or herself. So, uh, so Aquinas, you know, begins there in dealing with theological faith. He just says, look, belief is is a way in which we come to uh, to possess truth, uh, affirm truth. It's it's uh, we trade, you know, in yeah. in in truth, uh, in large part by belief. And it's with that natural understanding of what the human act of belief is, then Aquinas. Uh, begins to describe what it is that theological faith is is that the propositions given to us are the things that God reveals to us you know about himself about us about creation about redemption and salvation these are propositions the articles of faith that we can't prove we can't demonstrate their truthfulness but we believe them with absolute certainty we, we choose to affirm their truthfulness. Why? Because God has revealed them,
2: mm.
0: And that's it. That, that's the sole motive for faith is because <laughs> God, God himself is trustworthy. You know, God cannot lie. Now, that doesn't mean that reason and natural intellect doesn't have any role to play in the life of faith. It absolutely does. Uh, and, and Christ himself, as a good teacher, challenges us to, once we make the act of faith and believe that what God reveals to us is true, we think about these things. <laughs> you know, we study them. We, we we try to unpack them. We we look for their irrationality, uh, not as a way of proving their truthfulness, because they can't be proven by our our natural intellect uh, or not demonstrated by us, because they're. We don't have all the principles to demonstrate them, you know. God reveals these things about His inner life. We have no access, you know, to that life other than what He tells us uh, about it. Um, but we can come to see, and this is what Aquinas says: why philosophy is helpful for theology, or or why reason is helpful to faith. We can see why it's not unreasonable to make the act of faith. You know that there's a kind of logic to the incarnation, there's a kind of logic to our redemption and salvation in Christ that we can trace how it is that the different articles of faith are connected to each other, and it reveals a kind of rationality, uh, but not one that we can confirm as, as self-evident, but one that still we, we believe. So we can have, as St. Peter says, reasons for the hope that we have in Christ, which is to say reasons for our faith but not reasons that prove the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. So it, so reason still works within this act of belief in choosing to affirm as true what God has revealed about himself based on his own authority and trustworthiness. Uh, but once I make that act of faith, then reason can swim as in a kind of an infinite ocean of divine light uh, in which it delights um, in in coming to greater understanding of of truths that you know our own reason can't prove or or demonstrate
1: right yeah I mean the more that you think about it especially with the natural act of faith like it is almost impossible to verify everything in our everyday life with with absolute certainty it 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 becomes irrational to have that level of skepticism you know like if I you know Every time I get on a plane, I have no idea who my pilot is. And I right. assume and I guess have a natural faith that like they're qualified, they went to flight school, they, they know the route, et cetera.
0: And uh, why? Because because you trust Delta Airlines. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and their processes that they've done the work necessary so that you can, with uh, without becoming insane (laughs) or making an irrational act that you trust that, uh, yeah, the, the, the two people that get into the the cockpit are actual pilots Mm -hmm. who know how to fly planes, uh, and have, you know, met all kinds of, uh, levels of, of security, uh, and safety. They've been tested. Um, but yeah, that's an act of belief, you know, on your part, you know, and, uh, and, um, yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of life, you know, uh, a lot of our knowledge, uh, you know, is assented to uh, a lot of the truth that we possess is assented to in that in that way. We trust other people, right. you know, right, uh, right. to to um, yeah, communicate the truth to us.
1: Right. Well, and then to tie that back to theological faith, though. So you said that that's when we're believing based on you know, the fact that it's the word of God, right. That we, we trust Mm -hmm. this is a divine revelation. Um, but even that comes to us in a very mediated fashion, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. from a priest or a catechist, or even from scripture, you know, that is something that has been passed along, uh, you know, through oral tradition or, or letters that were circulated. And so there's kind of this like lineage of trust that we have to go back to. If I say, I trust the Bible's God's word, that has to mean that I trust that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling the truth. I mean, I have to trust that, you know, Ezekiel and Elijah are telling the truth.
0: It, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not, yeah, trying to kind of maintain the lineage of, of trust, as you yeah. kind of outlined it, uh, might not be the right place to start. Uh, okay. The right place to start is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the word becomes flesh. I mean, he is the self-revelation. Of God, you know, it's it's His word and His authority, uh, you know, that we we receive and and trust. Um, how then that His word and the authority of His word is communicated to us is also by His design, by His establishing the Church, uh, giving it a a kind of divine guarantee uh, to be a faithful guardian and communicator uh, of the truth. And that happens in any number of ways, scripture being the preeminent one, but also the, the, the teaching and sacramental life of the church, which is you know, un, has been lived in an unbroken manner since, since the time of, of the apostles. So it's the, it's the whole living tradition of the church as being the one to whom Christ speaks, the, the, the bride to whom Christ commits himself, the bride for whom Christ dies <laughs> and rises, uh, you know, if he's gone through that much trouble uh, to, to redeem and, and save us, uh, I think he would also guarantee that, that those who hear his voice and, and come to him uh, belong to the community that, that he established to be the faithful guardian uh, and communicator of, of his word. And so I think that's a better place to, to start. Not to begin with, first and foremost, our own experience and how is it that I can prove uh you know this kind of unbroken chain of of trustworthy communication uh, let's right. begin with the mystery that we're affirming first and foremost that, that the word has become flesh uh and that as st. John says you know in Christ we see the very and receive the very life of God, you know himself. Okay, if that's what God has done for us, uh well then the other things kind of fall into place as as works of God himself, uh incorporating us fully cooperative. Uh, with him, the ministers of the church and the the faithful uh, in the church, but it's all part of you know God's making sure that we hear and receive uh, and trust what it is that 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 He's revealed about Himself.
1: Right, but I can see the the kind of modern person balking at that because it sounds like you're starting with affirming the conclusion you're starting with the conclusion that Mm -hmm. christ god has incarnated himself and then you're saying okay now how can we have this 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 trust in in his word
0: right well that's just the act of faith itself because there's no i don't see any any way of uh you know um Because I think it's it's to help the person who who might balk at that to see that um, at the end of the day an act of faith is necessary, an act of faith in a proposition, to affirm as true a proposition that um, you know the that that by their own natural reason they're not going to be able to to prove or demonstrate,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: that we know is 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 a fruit of grace. I mean, it's it's the Holy Spirit, you know, moving in the heart of the person that that calms (laughs) the soul enough to be able to say yes. I mean, and we see these acts of faith right. all through the New Testament. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the good thief, you know, hanging next to, to Christ. You know, there's nothing hmm. in that scene that moves the, the good thief to, to look at Christ hanging there and make the prayer, uh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, uh, yeah. you know. There's nothing in the experience of Thomas, the apostle, a week after the resurrection to, to look at the, the risen body of the Lord and to put his, his finger in the, the nail marks and into Christ's side and to say, my Lord and my God. Uh, you know those are, those are acts of faith there that, that, that move beyond what's physically or materially, rationally demonstrable. I mean, they're making affirmations about things that they do not see <laughs> uh but but truths that they've heard uh and they affirm them or propositions they've heard and they've affirmed them it's true you know and it's uh to be able to affirm god that way uh yeah. is certainly the, the the fruit of of god himself already working in the mind and part of the of the person
1: right right well, then that, that brings up another question for me because, um, you know, we speak about faith as a gift, something that the Holy Spirit is imparting to us, moving within us.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: But when you read the Gospels, you know, when Jesus goes into certain towns, it says that he can't work very many miracles because of their lack of faith. And it's it's puzzling to be like, okay, well, they're lacking faith, so you can't do these these works. but if they're lacking faith, isn't it because they haven't been given the gift of faith? And and then are you blaming them for something that you should be giving them in the first place?
0: Yeah. Well, like any grace, I mean, the gift of faith can be resisted, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. not communicated with and for willful reasons. And that, that stands to reason. Uh, because if at the the root of the act of faith is a movement of the will, you know, a choice, it's, 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 it's the, the will, in a sense, pressing the intellect to affirm something is true that it, it can't see itself. Uh, so if there's an act of will that's, that's required uh, in the act of faith or the act of belief, uh, well then a will dispossessed or uh, ill-disposed uh, to, to make that uh, kind of, of, of movement or choice, yeah, is going to be a stumbling block uh, to faith. Mm-hmm you know. Uh, so someone who has their heart turned against uh, the goodness of the Lord, or, or for some reason is, let's say, holding a kind of grudge yeah. <laughs> against yeah. God, or is jealous uh, because of the good that they see God doing for others, but maybe not for themselves. Yeah. Um, any kind of misconceptions and misjudgments that are made about who God is or how he works, all of these things can be impediments to faith. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, in, in the Gospels. You know, there's uh, uh, just according to the very human measure of judging what it is that Christ is doing, uh, people turn their their hearts against him. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because of that, those hearts turned against the Lord, even as the apostles are preaching to them, or they see the good works that he does in the lives of others, uh, that, that that hardness of heart becomes an obstacle to him uh, you know, from, from doing the, the very same things for them, uh, that, that he's done for others. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that might be a, a way or a lens through which to read those, those, those passages. Um, right. And it's also not the last, uh, you know, chapter written in the lives right. of these people too, right? I mean, so yeah. we don't, the, the gospels don't give us a snapshot in those towns 15 years later, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after the resurrection, after you know maybe the the apostles uh, have come, you know, after Pentecost, you know what what faith in those communities may have looked like?
1: right. Do you think that if somebody witnesses a miracle, whether it was in the gospel literally a miracle of Jesus or somebody a miracle today, if if they witness you know a miracle, something that they can tangibly perceive with their senses, and that is the catalyst for for belief in God, belief in Jesus, belief in the church. Is that a real act of faith if they're kind of believing it more so on evidence that they can tangibly perceive?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we have to be careful here as to what what is the the miracle evidence of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, why does Christ perform miracles as signs of His power? You know, as St. John says. Uh, It's not to demonstrate the rationality uh, or the truthfulness of of what he teaches.
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: They're rather signs that that point to his identity as God. (laughs) So that the act of faith can be made that Mm. the one speaking these things to me is God. (laughs) And therefore, as God is trustworthy to be speaking the truth to me. Uh, And so, so the the it's not that the miracle itself becomes demonstration or proof of of the truthfulness of the faith. Uh, rather, I think from let's say St. Thomas Aquinas's view and others that the miracle there uh, is a confirmation that the one speaking <laughs> is speaks truthfully. Uh, yeah. you know, the one who speaks is uh, says everything, you know, uh, truthfully and, and, and out of love uh, for me. Uh, and therefore, his word is, is trustworthy, even though I can't, again, my own, my own, according to my own lights, um, prove or demonstrate that what he says is true, that God is three in one, that the sacraments are, are, are vehicles of, of grace. Uh, I can't show you those things, but I absolutely believe them to be true. Uh, I I affirm their truthfulness because the one who revealed them to me can do all these great things, <laughs> and uh, and demonstrates his his power, his truthfulness, his love, his authority. You know, by by commanding nature in this way, and uh, right. and then, so that's how that's that's I mean, from Aquinas's point of view, I mean that's where the miracles fit in. You know, to the to the life of of faith.
1: So, they're more verification of Christ's identity versus verification of his teachings. It's like you verify right. the identity, and then if the identity is trustworthy, then the teachings follow
2: from right. that as also trustworthy
0: right. and we see him doing that in the gospels. I mean, some of these some of uh, his healings are are incredible uh you know he uh, you know his healings are often accompanied by the forgiveness of sins, yeah, uh, and it's usually because. Uh, you know, people contest his claim to forgive sins, which is only what God can do, uh, that, uh, that, that prompts him to heal, you know? And so certain situations, you know, they, the, the people question him, they accuse him of blasphemy. And he says, mm-hmm. look, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say to this paralytic, get up and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sins. He looks to the paralytic, get up, walk you know so the so the 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 physical healing is is a demonstration of of his power and authority you know over sin but also i mean accompanied i mean or or ally to that is is also his his uh his authority as as the revealer you know as the one who Mm -hmm. who the teacher you know who 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 teaches truth
1: Mm -hmm. right right um so you've mentioned the sacraments um you know most mm-hmm. people in America at least today baptizes infants. And so it's the parents making and the godparents making a kind of act of faith on the child's behalf. Um mm-hmm. and yet, like during the baptismal rite, the 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 minister asks, you know, what do you ask of this church? And one of the responses is faith, you know, or or baptism. Mm-hmm. And so um how do we explain or how do we describe the kind of faith that an infant, a baptized infant receives um, since they can't make a personal act of faith themselves?
0: Right. So this, again, I think is where, where Aquinas can be helpful because he describes the, the the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, those theological acts in terms of virtues, right? So So stable dispositions granted by grace. Kind of implanted in our intellect and in our will that that allow us to make the kinds of acts of faith hope and charity uh the kinds of acts of belief kinds of acts of hope the kinds of acts of charity that kept god himself as their object by by which we we unite in mind and heart to god himself that's not something we can do on our own that's not something our own minds and hearts are capable of doing outside of grace but in baptism God gives those gifts to us, those virtues to us, uh, making us capable of those acts. So, so that's, I think, we, 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 that's what we say about the, the faith of an infant. Uh, not that they're making acts of faith like you and I do, uh, mm-hmm. because they're not making many <laughs> kind of acts right. of intellect that you and I do, but because of their baptism, because of their, their conformity, you know, to to Christ, because their participation through baptism in the Passion, Death and Resurrection of of Jesus, uh, they have already within them those gifts, those virtues that as they grow and mature and as intellect and will matures uh, in them from the very beginning, they'd also be capable of making theological acts of faith, hope and charity. And that's why the baptismal rite is full of, of descriptions of the role of the parents, and the dignity of parents as those who are the first teachers of their child in the faith, as they themselves model what acts of faith, hope, and charity are. Uh, it's something that the the child first sees in them and then learns, uh, but also needs to be told. You've been baptized. You have faith. You have hope. You have charity, uh, and uh, and let's make those acts, you know, together uh, in, in the family. So that's. I think it's part of the, the great mystery and wonder of, of, of the Christian family, uh, how it is that the that the theological life of faith, hope, and charity given to the infant in baptism is something that's um, attended to and trained by the family as the as the child grows up.
1: Right. Is it kind of the opposite of the natural virtues where a natural virtue like temperance, like you obtain the virtue of temperance by making a temperate act and then it becomes a habit but with the theological virtues you receive the virtue first and then you make the or the you know the habit and then you make the act
0: right and Aquinas talks about this uh and yeah he says that they are different in that way insofar as the natural virtues uh the seeds of those uh virtues are in our intellect and in, in will themselves and therefore you know they 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 develop and grow as we we commit those acts more and more virtuously um no faith hope and charity the seeds of of those virtues lie outside of us they're implanted in us uh innocent i mean you can say fully formed insofar as the capacity to to believe hope and love under god uh, is given to them but At the same time, so from the very first act, it can be meritorious for heaven. The first time I say yes to what it is that God reveals to me, based on God's own authority, you know, moved by the Holy Spirit uh, to arrive at God himself in that act of faith, and the same with hope and love, uh, those are are fully meritorious for salvation. At the same time, Aquinas says, we can still grow in them. Uh, You know, we we can become more sure in our faith, you know. More, more uh, firm, you know, in our hope, more ardent in our charity, you know, we, you know, so the, 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 the tenacity of our faith or the, the fervor of our love, you know, can, can, uh, can grow and 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 deepen as we practice the theological virtues. But, uh, but that's not the same kind of growth as like growing in temperance or growing in justice, uh, you know, as natural as natural virtues.
1: Right, right, yeah, and I think uh, maybe you can clarify this. I think we tend to think of the virtue of faith and making an act of faith as something that is kind of done within our own intellect, almost. It sort of stays within ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, think about like like the story of Abraham. You know, the preeminent example of faith. Like his faith was always connected to an action you know Mm -hmm. um he he set out to an unknown land to see where god was gonna call him to Mm -hmm. he obviously brought isaac up the mountain not quite knowing where things were going and so is there a sense in which faith um if it's real authentic faith it's always going to lead to or maybe terminate in action outside of ourselves
0: uh definitely so um so Aquinas, I mean, describes this in, in several ways. First of all, he says, faith itself uh, is uh, naturally oriented towards exterior manifestation. So um, what's that mean? Well, he says there's kind of two aspects of faith. There's the interior act of belief, but also the exterior act of confession. Yeah. Uh, and we see this all over, you know, the, the scriptures in in. In committing a theological act of faith, it's not enough that I simply, yes, interiorly assent to the truthfulness of the the article of faith. Uh, I'm also compelled, because that's just what human beings do. We share what we know. Uh, yeah. You know, if I know <laughs> that God is three in one, that uh, I know that, that Christ is risen from the dead, I want others to to know that too. Uh, and that itself contributes to the meritorious quality. Of, uh, of faith that it's not just that I believe that what God has said is true, but I share this 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 knowledge with others. So confession, profession is is one of these kind of interior exterior acts that naturally flow from faith. But Aquinas also helps us to see it's not just confession of profession, but it's also charity, you know, uh, love. I mean, the all of the. The corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you know, are, are things that that flow from faith. Uh, and this is the distinction he makes between living and dead faith. You know, uh, I can have, I can believe that what God has said is true, but because my heart is, is turned away from him in charity, let's say I'm in a state of mortal sin, my faith is not animated by charity, you know, so it's not animated by a real friendship with God so that even though I believe in him, I remain alienated from him. Uh, But Aquinas Mm. says, no, according to God's design for us, and what he wants for us is is to have a faith animated by charity, you know, informed by charity, which is to say, I'm friends with the one in whom I believe, you know, I love the one uh, in whom I believe, and therefore, in loving him, I love what he loves, which is creation, my neighbor, you know, all of the things that uh, in in the life of charity, we we aim to love uh, for God's sake, and so um, so that's the kind of the we might say the ideal form of faith. It's not just an an interior, you know, act of assent that uh, is just uh, satisfied to remain within me. Well, no, first of all, the act of faith reaches a kind of perfection in profession, confession. I share the knowledge of God uh, with others, but I also possess that knowledge and real love of him, you know, Uh, and that's, that becomes then the measure of, uh, of our real closeness with God is, 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 you know, do we love the one, you know, who reveals himself to us? Uh, So the, so love is, is the real end of, you know, God's revelation to us, but also it's the end of of my believing that what he says is true i believe what he says is true so ultimately i might be united to him in in love yeah
1: yeah there's um you've probably heard of him there's like a popular psychologist uh jordan peterson and he's Mm -hmm. often asked do you believe in god and and his answer is usually i act as though i believe in god (laughs) Kind of like the opposite of what you're saying i don't know if he has hear your faith but he says he's gonna live his life as though there is a god
0: right which is, is, is a kind that, of is that faith <laughs> uh i wouldn't say so i mean because that's more of a kind of practical prudential yeah um you know decision or judgment as to how to comport oneself in life um to act as if one believes in god or to act as if god were uh, or to act as if what he says is true, um, those acts don't arrive at, at God himself. I mean, that, that's the whole point of the theological life, of faith, hope, and charity. It's that by revealing himself to me and by my assenting to what God reveals as true, I enter a real communion with God. Like I know what he knows. He shares knowledge with me and that unites me to him in knowing, and also, uh, you know, in sharing his happiness with me as, as the goal of life that gives me something to hope in. I, I begin to love him, you know, in hope and already hoping in that I, I kind of possess the end already, you know, cause it's sure it's certain uh, it's going to be given to me. And I look forward to that and, and the looking forward already, you know, brings me a, a certain joint as a participation in God's happiness and that God loves me. Uh, by revealing himself to me, uh, and by sharing his happiness with me, that I can enter into real friendship with him. Uh, Yeah, those are all ways in which I share God by knowing and by loving. Um, That's not just comporting myself as if God were real, (laughs) (laughs) or as if what he says is true. No, this is a real participation by knowledge and by love in God that he makes possible. Uh, And so yeah, I would say that that's, it's different.
2: Right. You know, right.
0: And better. I hope people see <laughs> <Right>. that <It's laughs> infinitely, infinitely better. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean, I do think though, like a lot of people, they have these ebbs and flows in their faith. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. there are times where we're kind of, sometimes there's times where we feel, and I don't know if feels the right word here, but kind of have right. this sincerity of, of belief and maybe it's tied to um, a personal experience. And other times, Mm -hmm. we are kind of acting out that belief, you know, like when I go to receive the Eucharist, you know, sometimes it's, it's a powerful experience where, you know, my faith is very alive. And other times it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm adoring this host that looks like a piece of bread, but I know it is Jesus Christ, but there's no, um, you know, it's hard to articulate. Like, I I mean, I guess it is faith when you're, when you're, Mm -hmm. when you don't have, any sensible um reaction to it but it can almost seem the opposite where you're kind of just acting as though that's jesus even though you're not interiorly like experiencing, right. feeling it does that make sense yeah. to the question
0: right no and, it, and it's those are very natural and understandable uh kind of experiences and shouldn't be received by us or interpreted by us as evidence against faith uh no it's yeah. actually that those are real experiences of the difficulty of faith i mean we're complex creatures and already you know in de- in describing you know who, who are made of of intellect and will of you know of of spirit and matter of uh you know intellect and sense you know all of these things come together and also in the life of faith in the christian life uh and because of sin, you know, we, we experience even ourselves in a kind of weird way. We don't make yeah. sense to ourselves. Right. Uh, but, God, but, but God is pulling us to himself. And in pulling us to himself, he's pulling us back together uh, again. And so there, there are going to be moments that, like you describe, and that's not surprising. Uh, in fact, that's, that's uh, evidence that it's working, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so that, that, that grace is working. Joseph Pieper in uh, his essays on faith, hope, and, and love. Pieper does a great job of, of describing how it is that the, the the life of faith especially is just uncomfortable. Hmm. Why? Because it kind of, uh, belief is, is not the final way or the most satisfying way in which we know things, hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Intellect wants to see. Yeah. You know? yeah. It wants to possess. And to be in a state where that which we know is most true—God's revelation—and we trust that on His own authority—but in making that affirmation of truthfulness, but not being able to see for ourselves the truths, the truthfulness of what God reveals to us, not to see God Himself, you know, in that kind of supernatural way, uh, leaves us unsatisfied. In kind of uh, Psychologically, off kilter, you know, yeah. because it's not the way we want to see. And so, St. Paul even describes this you know, we see darkly, it's as, as mm-hmm. through a mirror, you know, and therefore the life of faith and the pilgrimage of faith is always going to be fraught with, with difficulty. Right. Once, though, we pass through our final participation in the paschal mystery and through our own death and resurrection, you know, by God's grace see him face to face in glory then you know uh mind will rest faith will give way to vision uh Mm. and uh and we'll be most in a sense ourselves and most satisfied in our knowledge of god because we'll see you know Mm. that uh in in which uh we'll, we'll see the truthfulness of what it is you know that up to now we we can only believe you know and uh And so those experiences aren't surprising then in in the the life of faith. There's going to be ebbs and flows, ups and downs. uh, A lot of because that life is supported by the will, you know, in the act of faith, you know, our sense life, the life of the passions all have something, you know, roles to play in there too. Uh, And if for some reason the passions go... Uh, awry, or they're not there. Yeah, we can find ourselves in really difficulties in terms of in real difficulty in terms of faith, uh, or it feels that our faith is weak. You know, in those yeah. moments, because the the fervor that we think we should be there is gone. But even though, as long as we say yes, um, I believe whatever the Son of God has said, as Saint Thomas says in the adorate devote his hymn to the Eucharist. Uh, that, that's an act of faith. Uh, and that's you know, and it's not always going to be something felt. It's great when it is felt, right? right. <laughs> but it need not be felt in order to be, to be faith, yeah, and notorious, yeah.
1: yeah. If if someone is at a, a point where they're not feeling, you know, that they believe something to be true, should they always put the blame on themselves and say, "Well, I must be doing something wrong," and that's that's why I don't. That's why I've, feels more like I'm groping in the dark than normal
0: yeah or it's, it could be somebody else's fault too I don't know life is complicated um yeah but yeah. no I, I think regardless of of what the the particular cause of a of a particular moment of, of difficulty in faith uh is uh, you know I think we we make the uh, you know, that prayer we see in the new Testament and the gospels, our own Lord, I believe, you know, help my unbelief. I mean, that, that should be our prayer every day. You know, we're always somewhere in there, you know, uh, in belief, we struggle with unbelief, you know, uh, of all kinds and at various levels and intensities. Uh, and therefore, yeah, the act of faith that we, we make should become more and more perfect, you know, as we, the closer and closer we grow to God and, and to Christ, um, but uh, but that's something we should pray for daily. You know yeah. that that our our, our faith become uh, purified in that sense and in purified be be strengthened. Um, yeah, that not only my my clinging to the articles of faith is, is strengthened, but my my perception and understanding, my grasp of them is, is also. Uh, deepened and increased over the course of my life
1: yeah um what you know when you say it could be someone else's fault it makes me think of i don't know if you follow you see this more in the evangelical world right now but a lot of people talking Mm -hmm. about deconstruction and this Mm -hmm. uh, you know the story is often that they're part of um you know a large church or a large movement and a lot of times these movements go awry maybe there's a pastor who is kind of egocentric and things come out about the pastor that they were not living a godly life and a lot of people there that were you know devotees you could say their faith is shaken and they start to go through this deconstruction process where they're like well wait do is 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 what this man said actually true is the bible actually true like is is any you know is anything actually true um and i'm wondering like what your thoughts are on what's kind of going on there like with the regard to the virtue of faith you know if, if mm-hmm. somebody experiences that kind of deconstruction moment did they have real faith to begin with is it possible for another person's actions to actually destroy the virtue of faith within you and and if you are kind of trying to figure things out for yourself are you neglecting the virtue of faith or are you trying to like nurture it or rebuild it
0: mm-hmm. yeah no, this is really important. I mean, It's an important question uh, because it affects not just evangelicals or, or other Christians. I mean, there's plenty of Catholics who are <laughs> going through this right at the, in the current moment, the last 20 years, especially in our own yeah. country, dealing with uh, clerical scandals and, and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really, as we say, it shakes the faith of people. But again, this is where it's important to be absolutely clear as to what the object of our faith is. God, mm-hmm. <laughs> God is the object of our faith, uh, and why? Because He reveals Himself to us. He speaks to us, uh, and in speaking to us, is calling us to affirm that what He says is true. And in affirming that truth, we we unite in, in knowledge, you know, with Him. Uh, so, I don't believe, you know, um, my pastor in the same way, you know, as I believe. Uh, God, I believe the pastor, what he says, that, or anyone who witnesses the gospel to me, because they're communicating to me um, eternal truths. It's the eternal truths that that, that ultimately I believe in. So that one of the witnesses failed is not evidence against the life of faith. Uh, gosh, I mean, this we find this at the very beginning of, of the, the life of the church itself. I mean, it's manifest. On Holy Thursday night, I mean one of the one of the apostles, one of the chosen witnesses, right. uh, you know, uh, witnesses against literally everything that 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 Christ up to that moment has has uh, has revealed and taught and and demonstrated. So so um, yeah, these get into bigger ecclesiastical questions too, as what the church is and others. but uh, I mean Christ, uh, knew what he was doing, you know, in, right. in setting up the church and, and turning us into, as the scriptures say, a cloud of witnesses, mm-hmm. you know, to the to the 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 truth of God. And therefore, if one fails, or if some fail, uh, and maybe even in spectacular ways, scandalous,
2: mm-hmm.
0: none of that is. Um, not one shred, none of it provides a shred of evidence, you know, uh, disproving in any way, uh, in truth of the incarnation, uh, and, and, uh, the truth of the life of grace, uh, the way in which Christ has chosen to, to redeem and, and save us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very good. Um, well, let's close with something practical, you know, okay. we both work on campuses and you know I mean you you at a Catholic college but there's still plenty of people who are non-believers or struggling with belief maybe agnostic
2: so mm-hmm.
1: how are we supposed to um impart the faith to a non-believer without trying to convince them you know kind of like how Paul says he didn't come with convincing arguments or anything like that right. like how are we to share the faith in a way that kind of creates the space for the Holy Spirit to come in and impart that gift versus us just trying to say, well, here's all the, you know, rational arguments for God's existence and, you know, the believability of the Bible and stuff like that.
0: Right. So, I mean, everything that we've set up to now uh, in our conversation, it's good to have in the background. I mean, to understand Mm -hmm. what the act of faith is and how it works, what its object is, uh, you know, how it unfolds. In, in one's life. That's all important to know in the background so that when you come to this pastoral moment, <laughs> you know, when you, when you have to propose faith to someone uh, or to invite someone who doesn't have faith into the life of faith, well, what do you do? Uh, and everything that we, uh, you know, described up to now about the act of faith or the life of faith should help us to see that uh, the first proposal isn't one to the head. <laughs> it mm-hmm. wasn't, it isn't to the intellect. Yeah. It, it's to the heart. It's to the heart uh, that what you do is you put before the person a good, the good that God puts before them to be loved, which is their their salvation. you know mm. uh, what, what they need to be told is not just the truth about God, but the lovable truth <laughs> about God, uh, that what he's done for that person. So you begin with, as the apostles did, the kerygma. I mean, it's, it's God so loved the world, that he sent his only son, you know, that through his passion, death and resurrection, we might have life, you know, that's, that's what, that's what the good thief saw on the cross, you know, Mm. uh, his salvation was hanging next to him. It was, Christ was not just a truth or a good abstract. Christ was a truth and a good for him. You know, Mm. uh, my salvation lies in this man. And that's exactly what Christ gives him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Uh, you know, he didn't ask him right then to, to recite the creed. Uh, right. <laughs> Christ Listen. asks us to recite the creed. But why? what's conveyed by the creed, all of the lovable truths, you know, that, uh, that, that God reveals to us uh, for ultimately for our salvation. And so that's what I think needs to be put, you know, before uh you know the the non-believer it's not just abstract truths or the the tenets of the faith itself but but it's a proclamation of the gospel it's a proclamation of the passion death and resurrection of christ which is the source of their salvation and, and happiness uh and it's to be confident that that proclamation is being given to a person and to a soul that you know experiences uh yeah all of the heartaches and hardships of the world for which the gospel comes, not only as good news, but as, as a rem- remedy for <laughs> the, the human condition, the fallen human condition that we all, we all have. And so um, so I think that's, you know, understanding the act of faith and what it is uh, prepares us for, you know, that, that preaching uh, of, of the gospel, especially to those who maybe not have heard it, that we, we begin with the end, <laughs> happiness, <laughs> you know, salvation. Uh, that comes to us, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so that's, I think, uh, the beginning of the proposal. And as Aquinas says, that's how the first act of faith is is generated. It's not through uh, kind of cold preaching of of the tenets of faith, uh, but holding before um, a good for them to love. And that's what generates the movement of the will to press the intellect to say, uh, not only I want that, but Wow, this is true, you know, and I believe it. You know, mm-hmm. yes, I believe that Christ died and rose uh, from the dead uh, because it promises me, yeah, my my salvation, you know, mm-hmm. my happiness. And so, uh, so loving God for our own sake, uh, as Saint Thomas says, is the is the uh, the first step towards loving God for His own sake, <laughs> which is the full. Really, Interesting. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: So that means like loving God because of the good that he bestows on us. And that's the gateway to loving God because he is good.
0: Right. Mm. Yeah. That's the distinction between hope and charity. I mean, hope is the love of God for my sake. Yeah. Yeah. I love God because of what he promises me. Uh Uh, And charity is, no, I love God as, as my friend. I mean, I love him for his sake, you know, and, uh, so yeah, that's I mean that's a marvelous distinction that uh, mm. that that shows that yeah that uh, loving God for my own sake is actually a salvific act. It's the beginning of the fullness of the theological life, uh, and it's in fact, as Aquinas says, it's it's what the first act of faith is rooted in. Yeah, because uh, if I don't believe in God yet, I, you know, I, I I can't yet love Him for His own sake. But if yeah. you propose to me, you know, something good about God that I recognize immediately as good for me uh Mm -hmm. well then that's that's the beginning uh and uh and so I think in our preaching uh yeah that's where in our teaching that's where we need to begin
1: Mm. yeah beautiful well this um I think like all discussions of the faith, this conversation has been um, revealing and concealing
2: because
0: yeah. <laughs> things have been
1: illuminated, but more questions remain because um, there's always more to know.
0: <laughs> always, always. Yep, that's true.
1: Uh, but I appreciate you so much for, for
2: taking the time to, to talk with me today.
0: Absolutely. Anytime. We'd love to do it again.